Padilla, a licensed marriage and family therapist with the AOT program. I act as the AOT coordinator. This is our final day of AOT 101. So our objectives for today's training, I am gonna define our what a petition is, provide an explanation of our petition process, describe the provider expectations for those clients who are petitioned, explain our, um, explain our process in regards to getting a recommendation from the treatment team at six months, at the five, six month marker of the petition, explain the declaration writing, explain testifying in AOT court and explain our progress report. So our petition process, it is a very, it could be a very lengthy process and there is a lot of details that go into it. AOT LA uh, has the ability to file a petition with the Superior Court of California County of Los Angeles. A court may order a person who is the subject of a petition filed to obtain assisted outpatient treatment if the court finds by clearing convincing evidence that the facts stated in the petition filed are true and establish that all the requested criteria are met. AOT is a civil matter and heard in a mental health court. There is no civil or criminal penalties for violation of the AOT order and treatment plan. Petition criteria. At the time of filing the petition, the client continues to meet the AOT criteria per statute welfare institution code 5346. The referral to AOT was made by an appropriate referring party per statute. The affiant must provide facts that support their belief that the client meets each criterion. The petition hearing shall be limited to the facts stated in the petition. The client has the right to be represented by counsel at all stages of the proceedings. The petition shall be accompanied by an affidavit of a licensed mental health treatment provider who shall state either of the following, that the licensed mental health treatment provider has personally examined the client no more than 10 days prior to the submission of the petition and indicated how the client meets the AOT criteria, recommends that AOT and that the licensed mental health treatment provider is willing and able to testify at the hearing on the petition, or that no more than 10 days prior to the filing of the petition, the licensed mental health treatment provider has made appropriate attempts to elicit the cooperation of the client, but has not successfully, in, but was not successful in persuading the client to submit to the examination. The licensed mental health treatment provider has reason to believe that the client meets the criteria for AOT and that the licensed mental health treatment provider is willing and able to examine the AOT candidate and testify at the hearing on the petition. So in regards to our court oversight, um, court jurisdiction again is by the Superior Court of California, County of Los Angeles. We utilize the Hollywood Courthouse. Our address is on the slide, 5925 Hollywood Boulevard in LA. And we are out of Department 103. Our core team consists of the Honorable Judge Lisa Jasko. Our County Counsel is Craig Kirkward Jr. And we have two public defenders, Nancy Colacontronas and Parker Samson. Um, their team also has a social worker, Susie O, that will communicate with providers and do follow-up and go out with them when needed. We have court every Friday. Um, our court now, as of the last month, Polly, starts at 11 a.m. and we go from 11 to 12, we break and we resume back at 1.30. Um, because of how our schedule is, we provide specific times for clients to appear for their court, for their court date. The times for the appearances are not scheduled till the week of. 
So minute orders, um, any notifications of court, notifications of hearings are all gonna say 1.30 or 11 a.m. But the actual time in which we're asking for the client to appear would be given Monday or Tuesday of the week of court. Once we know that the, um, the court calendar is finalized, which happens Friday afternoon after court ends. And I get the information on Monday morning. Um, appearances at this moment are done in three ways. It's a video conference through WebEx. There are non-appearance appearances and in-person appearances. Um, majority of all our progress hearings are being done via WebEx, but for clients who are not doing well or who aren't believing that they're court ordered, we are asking those cases at times to come in for in-person appearances, as well as um, petition hearings and extension hearings, we ask that the client and the provider comes in in person for those. We do those in person, we try to do those in person when applicable just to minimize any barriers to the petition process. So sound with the client, it's really good to observe the client. Um, just this week, this two weeks ago when we had our last court date, because the past two weeks we've been dark, um, one of our clients, was seen smoking during their, uh, while they were testifying. Um, now that that definitely wouldn't have been something that we would have happened while we were in the courtroom, but definitely through the WebEx, it was an experience for everyone to see and further provide some evidence about that in person's insight. So um, it's really good to be able to observe stuff that's going on and, and the client's behavior. And it's very different when they're in person compared to um, when they're on video. That one was a good one to see because it was done on video, but um, we try to eliminate any anything we might miss by having them uh, appear through video instead. In regards to our court team, um, county council is, a way to look at county council is that is our attorney in regards to the Department of Mental Health, but he is also the attorney for the providers. Um, whatever you guys need, um, whatever you want to ask the court to admonish the individual on, it is going to be done by county council. So this is who you would be communicating with. Usually most of the communication is through your progress reports or, or maybe emails, but he's all definitely available to speak if that is needed. Um, the public defender is the attorney for the client. Now you are expected to work with the public defender um, and provide information on how the client is doing. You might even go out with the public defender so they can see the client. Um, but the public defender is there for the client and is gonna do what the client is asking of them. Where county counsel is there as your representative. You just have to work with both counsels though while your client is court ordered. When can a client be uh, petitioned? So there are two phases in which a client who is part of the AOT program can get petitioned. Um, during our initial O&E with the AOT Outreach and Engagement Team is the first time in which the client could get petitioned. If they refuse our outreach team during that minimum of 30 days in which our team should be outreaching, then our team will move forward with the petition process if they believe we have everything in line as it relates to the petition criteria. A provider will be assigned to the case after the court makes a ruling on granting the petition. The exception now is our new process when it becomes 
when FS1 clients are already enrolled in FSP when they get referred to our AOT. That will be the only time in which a provider will already be connected to the client when our outreach team seeks the petition. Um, sorry, there is actually one more exception, and that would be um, if the client if the client initially agrees to treatment with our outreach team, we refer the client over to a provider and we are unsuccessful in handing off the client to the provider because during that those handoffs, the client is saying no. Um, doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. And so during those attempts to hand off, our team will make a determination that there's no success, a petition is gonna be needed. And our team will start the petition process, but the provider is going to stay intact. They're gonna, even though the referral has not been enrolled, the client has not been enrolled yet, the provider is gonna remain intact until we get through the petition process. Um, the next time that, the client can be petitioned is after enrollment with an AOT, FSP, or ERS provider. So maybe you had one or two months of success, maybe even longer, six months of success with the individual engaging in services to some degree. And then at some point, the, the individual stops. They're telling you they no longer want to see you. They no longer want to work with your team. Um, they kind of, or they just kind of stop attending their appointments. Um, so that's the next time in which a client can be petitioned. And that petition is going to start with the provider requesting the petition. So how does the provider request the petition? Um, we do have a petition form, and this is what it looks like off to the side, in which the provider is going to need to complete. Um, when the provider is able to ask for a petition, it's after about 30 days of the client refusing or declining to engage in the treatment plan that you guys have created with them. Um, and upon reasonable belief that there is a need to file the petition. So if you guys, if the client's been refusing for at least 30 days and um, you believe there's a, a, a need for our petition at that point, then you guys would complete the paperwork to make the request. So you complete the petition request form. You also provide all clinical progress notes, billable and non-billable, if you guys um, write non-billable notes. And you'll email all those documents to myself, the AOT coordinator. The notes you guys are going to be providing are the notes for while the client is in AOT. So this is a better view of the petition request form. We ask for generic information related to the individual and who's providing the services. Um, we ask for the date of admission, the number of face-to-face -face sessions that the individual has had with you guys, the dates of those actual sessions. Now, if the client has been with you guys for like more than six months, then I would just ask, um, you're going to provide us all the notes, but I'm going to ask that on this document, you just kind of give me like the last three months uh, of information. I don't want you to have to write all kinds of stuff down, um, but at least three months worth of what's going on if they've been with you for quite a while. Um, if there is any lapse between enrollment date and ongoing sessions being offered, then we want an explanation. So sometimes um, historically I've seen like the clients enrolled, but then it seems like for two months, there was no appointments at all, nothing even scheduled. And so if there's something like that, then an explanation to what had happened. Sometimes it's, you know, they, the 
provider couldn't find a client or the client was in jail um, to why there was actually no notes. Um, there probably should be some notes to explain that, but you know, a provider might not have given them to us. Number of sessions scheduled that the client refused or missed. Um, then it's uh, when did the client start to refuse meeting with the clinician? So again, that kind of falls with one of the clients who may have been engaging for several months and then all of a sudden they stop. So when did that stop happen? Um, are they medication compliant? This is just a general question to know. Um, since the assignment to you, the provider, has there been any hospitalizations? And then also a request to provide how many hospitalizations have there been in the past 36 months? And so for the provider, that's more just looking in um, looking at the episodes to see how many hospitalization episodes have been open for that individual during that time period. And then since assignment, has there been any incarcerations? Provide any provide the dates that you guys are aware of. Um, since the AOT assignment, has there been any, has the client made any acts or threats of serious and violent behavior? Um, again, the date and what did the individual say or do? Um, and then a number of how many acts or threats in the last 48 months. Um, so this might be some information that was given to you by different sources or the client themselves. And again, just providing a number of it. And then the rationale for requesting a petition, this is kind of um, what has been occurring that the treatment team believes a petition is warranted at that time of the request. The next question is how might the client benefit from a petition? Um, so if a petition is granted, how would this impact the client's compliance or stability? Has the client had treatment compliance when court law enforcement is involved? So if you're aware of that, providing that extra detail, um, is it believed that the black rope effect will have a, an impact on the individual? Again, my email address is at the bottom to send this reform to me once this is completed. So the petition request and filing process will be what the next few slides are about. You guys can always consult with me first before even filling out the paperwork if you're not too sure if the criteria would really meet at that moment to file for a petition. Um, once you consult, then you would complete the petition request form and submit all the clinical progress notes to myself. I will review to make sure I have all the details I might need. If there's any questions, I will reach back out. Um, then I will present the petition request to the AOT Referral Review Committee on the following Tuesday of receipt of the packet. Um, once the committee makes a decision if they think it is appropriate to move forward, which almost always, if we're already at that point, they're gonna agree for the most part. I will email, I will send out an email to the provider um, at, indicating that the committee has approved or maybe if they have it, but if they have approved, I will also include the AOT psychologist and I will provide all the, the documentation you guys have submitted in that email. It's requesting that you guys reach out to the AOT psychologist to schedule a time and date and a location in which yourself, the psychologist and the client could meet. Our AOT psychologist will need to attempt to make a face-to-face -face contact with the client in order to examine the individual and offer a treatment plan if she determines that we have the grounds to move forward. Sometimes in that email, um, our committee will approve to put them on the petition list, but we might have some questions and the questions may be related to the deterioration um, or even maybe the, the non-compliance component. So our psychologist is gonna go out there and when they do their examination, they're gonna further assess for those areas too. And if they determine that 
um, those do exist, then they would move forward with offering that treatment plan. So this is a, uh, a sample of the generic, somewhat generic treatment plan that we utilize when we start the for the initial petition. I'm going to say that. The initial petition, the first time the client is going to be petitioned um, under a certain referral, because again, clients can be referred to as multiple times throughout their their life. So um, the initial petition, uh, our team is going to offer the treatment plan. Um, and this is what it looks like. So we identify what the problem is in here. It says um, mental health symptoms negatively impact the individual's ability to survive safely in the community due to impairments in behavior and social functioning. Symptoms increase the risk of harm to self or others due to the following. And we list symptoms that um, of the individual. We have a goal to decrease mental health symptoms. We list an objective, again, tied to the symptoms that we previously mentioned. And then we list the intervention, which is going to be the Assisted Outpatient Treatment Los Angeles program will provide the following food service partnership and enriched residential services for an initial period of six months and may include the following. Intensive case management, psychotherapy, medication management, crisis intervention as needed, ongoing mental health assessment. Um, feeding and eating disorder services and interventions, neuro, neurocognitive disorders and neurodevelopment disorders services and interventions, interventions to address social needs, peer family community supports. Um, so these interventions are based off of the actual statute. Within our statute, it does list the type of services we, we are to be able to provide. Not that we have to, but we, we need them to be available for an individual if those needs are, are needed. In regards to the two that areas that I had highlighted, the eating disorder and the neurocognitive and neurodevelopment disorders, these are two things that are not going to always be on everyone's treatment. It's only going to be there if it's needed. So in addition to maybe a mood disorder or a, psych or a disorder related to psychosis, the individual also has maybe an eating disorder or again, a neurocognitive or neurodevelopment disorder. Um, and if that's the case, then we're going to include whichever one might be appropriate on this treatment plan to ensure that if we're going to be seeking a specific service or treatment related to these two, th three, um, the court is able to order it. The court will only order something that is on this existing treatment plan. We list, an, a set, we list a second problem that's related to poor insight and judgment, which severely limits the individual's ability to perceive or analyze and interpret information from environment, from environment accurately resulting in decisions, actions, behaviors that place the individual at significant risk of harm to self, harm to others, and detention, which constitutes an inability to survive safely in the community. Our goal here would be improve insight and judgment um, objectives, we list again, and intervention again is related to the AOT program, or the AOT program as in services with the FSP or ERS providers for six months, and we list several interventions again. Now, we may have a third problem that we identify, which is going to be alcohol and substance abuse. Um, so we indicate as a problem, consistent use of alcohol or other mood-altering drug, despite individuals experiencing persistent or reoccurring physical, legal, vocational, social, and relationship problems that are directly caused by the use of substance. We list the goal to decrease substance use to the possibility of total abstinence. We list an objective, interventions, which is going to be the assisted outpatient treatment LA 
program will provide the following FSP, ERS, or residential substance abuse treatment program. Services shall be provided uh, for self, uh, I think it's supposed to be harm reduction principles and no service shall stipulate sobriety as a means for initiating or receiving ongoing services. And we list interventions such as psychotherapy, medication management, medication assisted treatment, substance use treatment and services, including but not limited to drug testing group and individual therapy and peer support groups and general medical examination. Now this treatment plan, we need to try to get the individual to sign it. We have whoever offered it to sign it, which is going to be the affiant. And then we have a witness. Um, with the treatment plans, if the individual signs it, then technically we cannot at that moment proceed with the petition hearing because they are agreeing. By signing this, they are agreeing. Um, so we need to give them an opportunity to see if they don't follow through with their agreement. So we'll give it a few weeks to see if they will continue to meet with the outreach team or get connected to the provider. And if they don't, then we move back to following through with the petition process. Now, there are some times that even if they sign it, we can still proceed. And that is gonna be based off of history. So maybe more recently, they've been linked to a clinic to several outreach programs like um, home, um, PHQ, different outreach programs that exist or FSP, they've even been linked to FSP and they agree to services, but then would never follow through with their appointments. And we have that as evidence then we can proceed even though they sign it because we're going to use that. We're going to say this person, you know, over the last year or two have been linked to so many such and such programs and would fail even though they agreed. And so if we have that, then we can proceed even though they signed it. So moving back to the petition request and filing process, our next step after our psychologist goes out there and examines them and provides them with the treatment plan, the AOT psychologist, upon assessing the client and determining that the client meets the AOT criteria that, and that the AOT program is recommended as the least restrictive treatment option and that the client has refused the treatment plan or didn't follow through with the treatment plan after signing it, the AOT psychologist will have 10 days to complete an affidavit that includes the facts and reasons why the AOT client meets the AOT criteria. The psychologist recommends AOT and will provide an updated treatment plan. If the AOT client refuses to cooperate with the AOT psychologist exam and refuses to accept the treatment plan and the AOT psychologist has reason to believe that the client meets our criteria, then the psychologist prepares an affidavit that includes the efforts made to engage the client, the client's refusal to submit to an examination, and that the client is reasonably believed to meet AOT criteria, and then the affidavit will be submitted. <clears throat> Once the affidavit is submitted, based off of being examined or not examined. The county council will review the affidavit and associated documents and prepare a petition for the mental health director to sign. The mental health director reviews the petition and may sign the petition and return it to county council. Um, in addition to the mental health director, it can also be the mental health director's designee. At this time, our petitions are all being signed by Dr. Bonds. <clears throat> County Council obtains the signed petition. Petition is filed with the courts. The court sets a hearing date time no later than five court dates. As a reminder, AOT court only takes place on Friday. So although maybe we're past the five days, it's gonna be set for whatever following Friday um, lines up, whatever Friday lines up with the filing. 
County Council officer is the public defender and patient rights with the conform petition and affidavit. So one thing to know, these are multiple steps that need to take place in order to have the petition filed. <clears throat> um, you may have to go out with our psychologist more than once because maybe you guys go out and the client's not there, then another one needs to be scheduled. <clears throat> um, the psychologist may feel that even if a face-to-face -face was made based off of how the client was, um, maybe based off of the client's refusal to engage, uh, the psychologist still doesn't feel comfortable writing the petition because there was a not, not enough there to be able to say that the client meets the criteria. So she may ask for another appointment for you guys to go out again and see if she could observe a little bit more behavior um, or if she can actually talk to the person again. So again, this, this is a process and it could take several, uh, several weeks to get through it just to file the documentation itself. And so during this whole process, the, AO, the, the FSP provider still needs to continue to try their own outreach and engagement with the individual on a weekly basis. Notification of here. So once um, the petition has been filed, our next step in this process is going to be notification of hearing. Um, so in general, this relates to everything related to court. On Monday morning, unless it's a holiday, I will email the providers that your client is scheduled for court that week. Um, so this will include if you guys are requesting for a petition, I'm going to let you know that Monday, hey, your client is actually on calendar now for their petition hearing that you guys requested. Um, if the client is scheduled for an ALT hearing, uh, I will double check with you guys that Monday to get their most current address. Um, the address is going to be provided to county council and the process server is going to be um, a request to a process server is going to be made so that a notification of hearing is served upon the client. Now, there is an exception to the process server going out to see the clients, and that's going to be for clients who are homeless, clients in the hospital who are in jail, as well as clients who live alone and don't answer their door without someone else's support. Um, the, those type of clients, so that'll be a, a, a conversation for us to have to if that's the kind of client you have because the process server is now we're going to be able to serve them. So for any of these type of scenarios, if, that, if that's what happens that week, the person's in a the hospital, they're in jail, or this is the type of uh, individual that you're dealing with, then your, yourself is probably going to, one of your staff members is going to have to serve the individual instead. Um, our outreach team will serve these individuals when it's our outreach team doing the initial petition. Um, our, our psychologist may assist depending on the situation, but we're going to have to work together to figure out who's going to go serve. I might be able to get our outreach team to do it. I might be able to get our psychologist to do it, but I may not be able, we may not be successful and I it may fall on asking your team to do it instead. Um, a route to serving the individual, if the individual lives at home with family, if the members over the family members over the age of 18, they can actually be served instead. If the client like isn't there or the client won't come to the door to get um, to be served, then someone over the age of 18 in which the individual lives with can actually be served um, instead. Uh, notification of hearing has to be done in person. The person has to be served face to face. <clears throat> Proof of service is submitted to county council if 
if we're successfully able to serve the individual. Provider will still need to contact the client that week to identify if the client will be appearing for the court hearing um, through WebEx or in person. Provider will need to assist with transportation if the client is gonna appear in person um, and if transportation is needed, not everyone needs assistance. Um, and or the provider will need to assist with technology devices if their person is gonna appear through video conferencing, again, if needed. The person may have the capability and um, the resources to do it on their own. As I had mentioned regarding um, court times, um, you really do need to make sure you know which time your client's going to appear for. Um, since we're since we have that one hour between 11 and 12, I am scheduling at least two hearings during that window in case we actually need to do testimony. We probably could get through two hearings, we might only be able to get through one of them actually. If we don't get through the second one, then that will be the first case that's heard at 1.30. Um, all other hearings that may have to go into the afternoon, I give just a 1.30 timeframe for those hearings and whoever's first there or who signs on first, that's who's gonna be heard. And then it kind of goes down and then we get to the progress hearings after that. So this is what a notice of hearing looks like. It is a two-page document. Um, if you guys are ever asked to complete it, I, I sometimes will fill it in for you myself. If not, if there's no time or there's an issue in doing that, there's only four areas that need to be filled in. Uh, two areas are the client's name and the other two areas are gonna be the date in which the client has a hearing. <clears throat> I'm trying to look at, um, basically this is just telling the client that a petition um, has been filed, that they're, it's for AOT where they have to appear for court, the time for court. Um, and then it informs them of their, um, Sorry. Um, and informing them of their rights. And then it also lists the number that they can call if they have any questions, which that number is actually the AOT general number. And it is signed by our county council. Oh, the additional area I didn't include that was on page two. You would also put the date in which you are serving the individual. This is the proof of service. It is a two page document as well. And um, some areas are already filled in in the saved version. So like the judge's name, the department, county council's information, the courthouse, um, number four, where it says what documents are being served, notification is already checked. Number six, how is the client being served? A is already checked. Um, so those things are just standard. Also proof of service on the top in a box um, by personal service is already checked. There's additional areas where you guys will need to fill in if you're the one who is completing it. So number two is gonna be your work address. Number four um, is gonna be the date in which you're serving the individual. And number five is gonna be the individual's address. And I, sorry, I skipped number five, eight, sorry, I'll backtrack. Five, five A needs to be the individual who's being served, I didn't have a line there. And then 5B is the address in which the individual is being served at. If the person is homeless and you're gonna put, you know, in a corner of um, Whittier and Soto or um, on, Whit you know, 
between Whittier and Soto at the KF in front of the KFC. So you're just going to indicate something that puts a, a residential area in which the individual was served at if they are homeless. <clears throat> then on page two, you're going to put the client's name. You're going to put the case number. Also on page one on the top, you'll be putting the case number that's going to be provided to you. And then um, you're going to date it. You're going to print your name. Whoever is whoever served the individual is going to print their name and they're going to sign it on the first set of signatures. And as I said, the, you're going to what you would do then is make a copy of the notification of hearing with the client's name and the date on it and send that as well as a copy of the proof of service over to county council and you would CC me as well just so I know that we have it and I can make sure that county council is aware that he has it as well. So providers assistance with initial petition. Um, so if you guys are involved or you guys were the ones that requested the petition, there are some things that you guys are going to need to do to assist. And that is one, after um, the week of the court hearing, you're gonna check in with the client regarding their willingness to attend court. You're gonna also check in with the client regarding if they need assistance with transportation or they're gonna need that assistance so that they can sign on to video conferencing. That might be that they need a device or you might need to be there with them to provide that extra support while they're testifying. Um, you will need to provide all progress notes and progress notes and supporting documents the week of the hearing to County Council, the public defender, and you would CC myself. My involvement in those are just to make sure that these steps were taken and everything is set up and ready so that we can have court. Um, if certain things aren't done, court is not going to happen. We're going to have to continue that hearing. So my attachment to some of this is just to ensure the steps were done. Um, you will attend court. Um, provide support to the client, or you may be, be needed in assistance with the court hearing. Um, you will need to bring a hard copy of the progress notes and supporting documents that were emailed to county counsel and a public defender to court on that day. These, just because I don't think I put it anywhere else, um, these notes are used as evidence in the hearing if we are having to testify because the client contested the petition. Um, they are not filed away anywhere. That packet of documentation is not even kept. It's just um, for the 20, 30 minutes the court might be happening, they sit with the judge and then they are given right back to the provider for you guys to shred or do whatever you need to do with them. And I'll talk a little, I think I talk a little bit more. If I don't, I will make sure I do. Um, the team members who observed behavior symptoms that are gonna be associated with our criteria may be asked to testify in that hearing if our affiant did not observe that behavior or, or symptoms. So what happens if the client refuses to appear for the petition hearing? Um, there are four questions in which that we would kind of ask to figure out what our next steps are. This is where it gets a little tricky in proceeding with our hearing, depending on if the next four questions are yeses or nos. Um, so the questions are 10 days prior to the filing of the petition, was the client examined by the licensed mental health treatment provider who's the affiant of the petition? Another question is, was the notification of the hearing served? In addition, has the public defender offered the client a voluntary settlement agreement, a VSA is what we call it, 
And the fourth would be, did the client consent to a mental health examination? That is going to be a little bit different than the exam I was talking about earlier when the client, when our psychologist goes out with you guys, I will explain that in a slide, in a few slides. So the first question, um, was the client examined within 10 days of the filing of the declaration? The court cannot order AOT unless the client has been examined by a licensed mental health treatment provider. The licensed mental health treatment provider who was the affiant of the declaration um, at, at first. <clears throat> the examination needs to take place within 10 days of submitting the affidavit or attempt to examine the individual. Um, what does the examination consist of? So the examination we talk about is not an actual paper examination um, and it's not a full mental health examination in the sense of like when you guys are doing an intake. This examination is just basically trying to identify that the client has symptoms related to a mental illness um, and that there are functional impairments due to these symptoms. So we, we phrase it in a way of it's a, a cursory examination, it's an eyeball of the individual. So maybe the client does not speak to our psychologist, um, but our psychologist is able to be there for about 10 to 15 minutes and observe several behaviors and symptoms that will indicate that there is a mental health diagnosis that's related to why the client is presenting that way. So that is kind of how we, how we define the examination that we are trying to conduct. We are just trying to see if there are symptoms, behaviors that can be tied to a mental illness and, and an actual diagnosis. Um, so if examined, the hearing can proceed in absentia if the court is in agreement, if the client does not show. If not examined, the Department of Mental Health can request for a 5346 D3 order. This order is to is for the individual to submit to an examination in the community or hospitalization in order to be examined. The first step though, is the examination in the community. So if that's the case, the hearing is continued. The court case is put back on calendar again so that our psychologist can go back out there and to go back out and see the client with this new order in her hand saying that the client has to submit to an examination, that the client is ordered to submit to an examination. So Welfare Institution Code 5346 D3 is, if the person who is the subject of the petition has refused to be examined by a licensed mental health treatment provider, the court may request that the person consent to an examination by a licensed mental health treatment provider appointed by the court. There's not one that's gonna be appointed by a court, it's gonna be the affiant. <clears throat> If the person who is the subject of the petition does not consent and the court finds reasonable cause to believe that the allegations in the petition are true, the court may order any person designated under section 5150 to take into custody the person who is the subject of the petition and transport him or her or cause him or her to be transported to a hospital for examination by a licensed mental health treatment provider as soon as it is practicable. So the 5346 D3 has two steps. The first is going to be an examination in the community. Our, our psychologist is going to go back out with your, with your team and then provide the order to the individual and ask them, will they submit to the examination? If the client does not submit, we go back to court. We inform the court that they were, um, they were notified. They were given the order. 
they refused to submit. And then we asked for the hospitalization order under Welfare Institution Code 534063. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. <clears throat> Detention of the person who is the subject of the petition under the order may not exceed 72 hours. If the examination is performed by another licensed mental health treatment provider, so if they were hospitalized, um, the examination is going to be by a licensed mental health treatment provider there, so probably a social worker, or by the actual doctor who is treating the individual at that moment. The examining licensed mental health treatment provider may consult with a licensed mental health treatment provider whose affirmation affidavit or affidavit was accompanied the accompanied the petition regarding the issues of whether the allegations in the petition are true and whether the person meets criteria for AOT. So basically what our psychologist is going to do in regards to that consult is ask that individual, do they believe the client meets the AOT criteria? We'll explain the AOT criteria because they probably do not know what it is and then ask them if they believe that they meet it. This is what um, the Welfare Institution Code 5346 D3 order looks like for an examination. Um, this is what we're gonna be providing the individual. So the second question, in order to determine what next step we're gonna do if the client was served, I mean, if the client refused to come to their petition hearing, um, is was the client served? So the client needs to be informed of the petition hearing. Um, in order to proceed with the hearing itself. So attempts to serve the client occurs the week of court prior um, by a process server and or by a, a provider. The client is given a notification of hearing, which I showed you guys, and a proof of service is submitted to county council prior to court. We need to, he needs to be ready and know that the client was served prior to, we, prior to us coming in on Friday for court. If served and the client was examined within that 10 day window, um, the hearing can occur in absentia if the court agrees. The next question to determine um, regarding how, if we can proceed, is if did the client sign a voluntary settlement agreement? If the client was examined, the client was served and signed a voluntary settlement agreement, a VSA, the VSA can be filed with or without the client present at his or her hearing. Once it is filed, then the judge will grant the petition. This is what the Welfare Institution, this is Welfare Institution Code 5347 order, which is the order that the VSA was filed and that the judge is granting the petition based off of the client's agreement to be under court jurisdiction for six months. Sorry. This is, this is the order. Sorry. That is all accurate what I just said, but this document is a document that the client signs themselves. So this is what's going to get filed in the courtroom. Um, and it's basically the client agreeing to be in AOT for six months. The fourth question that's going to be asked is, did the client submit to a court-ordered examination? So they weren't examined when the declaration was submitted. Um, they did not show up for their first court date. We asked the court to submit to order the client to submit to an examination. The client was put back on the calendar for a new court date. Our psychologist went out with the provider, informed the client that they are ordered to submit to an examination and asked the question, will they submit to an examination? Um, if the client, so, so we go out there, um, our psychologist is gonna ask them, will they submit to an examination? If they say yes, then the examination is done on that, in, 
at that moment. We come back to court and we inform the judge that they submit it to the examination if that is the, the accurate response. And if they did, and they still not show up to court for that second hearing, then we can have the hearing, we can ask the court to have the hearing in absentia. And if the court agrees, then we move forward. Um, if the client did not submit to the examination, then we have an additional step that we are going to take. And that is going to be to ask for Welfare Institution Code 5346 to request for the hospitalization of the individual. Um, this is what that order looks like. So we are gonna, the hearing is gonna be continued again and put up back on calendar again. And this time our team is going to go out to attempt to hospitalize the individual to have the examination completed. Um, even if a provider is involved at this point, this is gonna be handled by Marion, our AOT psychologist. She may ask you guys to go out with her if she can't schedule for one of our teams to go out due to time conflicts. She then might ask you guys to go, but she's going to handle this process. She need, just needs that extra support so she's not out there by herself. Um, she either always goes out either with our outreach team or she'll go out with the provider. So this order is indicating that upon proof made to its satisfaction and after reviewing all relevant evidence, the court finds that the candidate has failed and refused to appear despite having been provided notification of the hearing, is not cooperative with the AOT program, and there is reasonable cause to believe that the allegations in the petition are true. The candidate continues to refuse to be examined by a licensed mental health treatment provider, and that an involuntary hold for a 72-hour hospital examination and evaluation by a psychiatrist is necessary. This final line is something I would like you guys to be aware of. It indicates that law enforcement is ordered to assist in taking client into custody for transportation to, a, to the hospital, and if necessary, to use objectable, objectively reasonable force. Now, for all of you who are LPS designated, you know that law enforcement assisting on a 5150 may be very difficult and oftentimes they will not assist. With this order, they are to assist. Now, um, ever since a year ago, there are some times where they still refuse to participate even with this order. Um, a lot of that is because they do not wanna use force and they feel that it is not necessary in that moment. And a lot of that is tied to maybe a person in which they, de they determine is um, not reachable. They are barricaded. They are behind a closed door or the, the car door is locked. They're not going to use force to get the person out in that regard. Um, other than that, for the most part, law enforcement will assist us in this aspect. Now, if it kind of becomes very violent, um, they may again put into their own practice of whether or not they feel like they should be proceeding based off of how the client is acting. But again, for the most part, most of law enforcement does assist us when we have this order. The order indicates that the individual is to be held for 72 hours for a psychiatric evaluation and examination at any LPS designated psychiatric facility. The 72 hour detention for psychiatric evaluation and examination of the candidate shall commence upon presentation of this court order to that facility. If in the opinion of the treating psychiatrist, um, it is beneficial for the individual may be psychiatrically medicated both for treatment and in emergency situations. 
The examining psychiatrist or licensed mental health treatment provider may consult with a licensed mental health provider whose affidavit is accompanying the AOT petition. It also indicates the day that the client is due in court for their hearing. The LPS designated facility performing an examination of the, um, of the individual is to transport the candidate to their court hearing. Right now, because we're still in the midst of COVID, they are to assist us with a WebEx appearance. So the AOTLA, our flowchart, here is our flowchart that I've been showing you guys over the past three days. This is a completed chart with every step that we have. Um, as, as you can see, as we get into the petition process, there are many ways we can go that I described. So again, we get the referral. We determine that the appropriate referring process, appropriate referral source and that the AOT criteria is met. If, they, if the client does not meet AOT, then we refer them to appropriate services or we refer them back to the mental health provider who referred them to us in the first place. If they do meet for a, the criteria for AOT, then our outreach team begins to engage them for no more than 30 days. If the client voluntarily agrees to mental health services, then our team will determine if ERS or FSP is appropriate and they will make the referral to FSP or ERS. Then our provider gets involved. If the client is unwilling to engage in services during our outreach phase by our team, and they determine that we still hold all, all the appropriate criteria for AOT, they will begin the petition process. Um, once we complete the declaration, it is then filed, um, it is reviewed by county council, they draw up the petition, we get it signed, it gets filed, and then a copy goes to patient rights and the public defender a court date and hearing time, a court, court is set with a hearing date. Um, our next step is the notification of the client that they are, um, that they have a petition hearing pending and they're due in court. Uh, so our next question will be, does the individual appear in court? Is it a yes or no? If it's a yes, and then we're gonna ask if they were examined, again, a yes or no. Um, if they're not examined, then we're going to move forward with asking for the court to order the examination. Then again, a yes or no, were they examined? If they were not examined, we're going to ask the court to hospitalize them for them to be examined. Then um, we try to hospitalize them. If we're successful, then we can move on with the hearing. Um, there are multiple steps in which we can move on with the hearing. If the individual appears in court, they can sign a voluntary settlement agreement before the hearing takes place. If that's the case, then we file the voluntary settlement agreement with the court and the judge grants the petition for six months with AOT. And the client is now under the court jurisdiction through their own agreement for the next six months. If the client contests the petition, and they were examined either in the beginning or through the court order or while in the hospital, we can then proceed with the hearing um, and the client, um, we will have testimony and the judge will make a decision if we have provided evidence that the client meets AOT criteria. If the client does not show and we've gone through all the steps we need to go through so that the court can hear the case, um, and they do not show, we can ask the judge to have the hearing in absentia without the client present. Um, the judge typically would ask the public defender if they have any reason to not allow that. And as long as the, 
public defender says that we can proceed, then the judge will allow us to have the hearing and hear the testimony to make a decision if we again met, uh, prove that there is criteria for AOT. So the final steps will be having the hearing um, and the judge will make an ultimate decision to either grant the AOT petition or will deny the petition. If the, if the judge denies the petition, then the AOT case is closed and client will no longer be involved with the AOT program. And typically that might mean that they won't be involved with the FS, they won't be involved with the FSP either. If the client is, if the client is AOT at that moment, um, the provider is also going to be allowed to close that case because again, we petitioned because the client didn't want the services. <clears throat> Sorry, that that's a whole lot of information. Um, so just to recap the findings, uh, an AOT client can become a petition client through the two means, a voluntary settlement agreement. The client waives his or her rights to a hearing and chooses not to contest AOT. County Council will prepare a proposed settlement agreement in which the AOT client signs and the VSA is filed in court. You guys saw the agreement that the client signs. The second one, the terms that we use is petition sustained. Client contests the petition leading to a contested hearing to occur the court establishes on the record the appearances and relevant factors for commencing the hearing. So that, so technically that we serve the client um, and that the client was examined. Um, the licensed mental health provider testifies on the record. If the court finds AOT criteria is met, the court may order the client to follow some of or all of the recommended treatment plan for initial period of up to six months. The VSA has the same legal force as the AOT ordered issued under the petition sustained. Um, they are the client under both petition sustained and voluntary settlement agreement. The client is under court jurisdiction for six months and is to follow the AOT treatment plan and is to work with the, the provider that is assigned to them through AOT. The third finding is that the court um, does not grant the petition. They do not believe that we provide clear and convincing evidence that the client meets AOT criteria. This has happened on several occasions. Um, we have been denied five petitions um, through, sorry, we have been denied five petitions since our current judge uh, who has been working with us for the past year. Prior to that, um, from 2015 to 2020, we had only had one petition denied. So the increase in denial of petitions have um, risen with the current uh, judge that we have at the moment. Uh, so this is what an AOT order looks like. Um, when I talked yesterday about consent for services that you can use um, a court order in lieu of verbal or written consent, this is the order that you guys will be filing in your chart if that's the route you're going to need to take. Um, this order indicates that, you know, the client was served, um, they were notified about court, that we provide the evidence needed and for AOT criteria and that the judge is granting the order. Um, it is ordering the individual to be in services for 180 days. Um, and it provides the date in which the terminate the petition is going to term that specific petition is terminating. The courtroom sets the termination date. They set it for 180 um, working days, 180 days, sorry, 
180 business days, um, but it's always going to fall within um, that Friday that court is going to take place. So it may be shy of 180 days. It is never going to exceed 180 days, but it may be shy of 180 days. Uh, it also indicates that the candidate shall participate in assisted outpatient services as outlined in the written treatment plan, um, henceforth of the date that this order was being granted, that the candidate shall participate in mental health services provided to them by an FSP or ERS contracted service provider, um, that the LA County Department of Mental Health or Mental Health provider at intervals no less than 60 days during the period of this order shall file a report with the court affirming that the candidate continues to meet the criteria for AOT services and status of progress, the first, and then it's going to provide the first progress hearing. In regards to number four, we don't give another um, declaration regarding the client meeting the AOT criteria every 60 days. What we use instead is the progress hearings, and in the progress hearings, through the information you're providing, we're indicating that the client is still needed of AOT and, is, and technically still meeting the criteria. It's dated and it's signed by the judge. Provider responsibilities for a client who is petitioned. Um, the provider needs to engage the client for services, even if the client is declining services and there is a court order for the AOT program. Um, declining, declining of services will not warrant for a cancellation of that referral or disenrollment of the individual. Initially, <clears throat> the provider is going to provide treatment again because you guys can open the case even when a client is not given verbal written consent. Uh, you're going to collaborate with the public defender, county council, law enforcement, hospitals, you know, whoever might be involved as it ties to AOT. You're going to provide support in court and when they're in any other setting or while they're living at home. Um, in order for them to successfully complete all steps required of the client by the court. You're going to provide transportation of the client to court to, or assist with tech, technology or provide support during video conferencing appearances. Uh, you, you yourself are also going to appear for court in either way, WebEx or in person, depending on how um, your appearance is basically going to depend on how the client is appearing. You're going to complete progs reports and email them to myself. I am the one who will send the reminders, and I am also the individual who collects all progs reports and submits them to all team members who will um, be reviewing them or, and reviewing them for the upcoming court date. Provider, other responsibilities of the provider. Provider status changes such as hospital, the provider needs to provide an update um, in real time after the event occurs regarding any ch significant changes such as the client being hospitalized, the client being incarcerated, changes to placement of the client AWOL from um, say that they're at an ERS or they're at a residential treatment facility and they, and they AWOL or they AMA themselves. Um, and, and regarding any non-compliance with treatment um, as they occur. So you guys will send me an update that these things occurred um, and then I will shoot it back out to all necessary parties that are related to court. Um, so you don't wait for, sorry, so you don't wait for their next progress hearing to report these type of incidents. These types of incidents should be reported as they are happening. <clears throat> Provider can request for client to be placed on calendar if there is a compliance concern that the, plan, that the provider will like the judge to address with the client. So maybe their next court date is four weeks out, but all of a sudden you're having a, a major issue that you feel like needs to be brought up to the courtroom 
and to the court team and you would like for them to address it in court. So you can ask for the client to be moved up on a court calendar. You are also to request for Welfare Institution Code 5346F orders and you are to implement these orders. This is like the 5346D3 and we will talk about it in a second. Um, provider is also, provider also needs to provide recommendations for the six month termination date regarding allowing for the term for the petition to terminate or to extend the individual's court jurisdiction. Providers are requested to complete the extension declaration and testify in court if needed for the extension hearings. If we're again, we're gonna ask for an additional six months of court jurisdiction after the first six are terminated. So Welfare Institution Code 5346F. If in the clinical judgment of a licensed mental health treatment provider, the person who is the subject of the petition has failed or refused to comply with treatment ordered by the court and in the clinical judgment of the licensed mental health treatment provider, efforts were made to, to solicit compliance and in the clinical judgment of the licensed mental health treatment provider, the person may be in need of involuntary admission to a hospital for evaluation. The provider may request that the person's designated under section 5150 take into custody the person who is the subject of the petition and transport him or her or cause him or her to be transported to a hospital to be held up to 72 hours for examination by a licensed mental health treatment provider to determine if the person is in need of treatment persistent to section 5150. So basically, you guys are asking the court to order hospitalization of the individual as, a, as it complies with Section 5150. There's three components. The, um, this is for an individual who has already been petitioned. The client is non-compliant with services with the provider. You have made all efforts to try to get the client to comply with the services your team is offering them. And in your team's clinical judgment, they're in, in need to be evaluated to be hospitalized. This does not mean that the client needs to meet 5150 criteria. There are many times that they actually might meet 5150 criteria and you have made your best attempts to hospitalize them under a 5150, but you were unsuccessful. They keep running off, police won't assist. They won't get on a gurney. So you, although you've written them up, and you set everything up, you just are unsuccessful in getting the client to the hospital on 5150. But at the same time, the person does not need to meet criteria for 5150. They need to be um, getting there, but they're not quite there yet. Um, with this, in addition to what the actual criteria is based off statute, we do need to prove to the court, and this is something just for our courtroom itself, not because of the statute, we need to, excuse me, we need to indicate that the person is deteriorating. Again, not 5150 level of deterioration, but that they are deteriorating in some degree. Um, our public defender and our judge, our public defenders and our judge are see hospitalizations in a negative way. They feel that they, are traumatizing to our clients, which they could be at times, um, but they, they like to not hospitalize individuals. So with that, as a way to counteract their beliefs and how they feel about hospitalizations, we have added the extra component besides what the statute indicates, 
to indicate that the person currently is deteriorating when we're asking for these orders. Um, so in court, um, we're going to have the, the provider is going to have to testify and they're going to testify to the three facts. Again, um, they're non-compliant. You've made efforts to try to get them to comply. And if you believe that the involuntary admission is needed, but you're also, also going to be testifying to how they are currently deteriorating. And again, these are the beginning steps of deterioration. Doesn't mean that they meet the 5150 level of, of a deterioration of being GD, DTS, or DTO. Um, <clears throat> so under this order, any continued involuntary, so if you're successful in getting the individual to the hospital under this order, um, any continued involuntary retention in a hospital beyond the initial 72 hour period shall be persistent to section 5150. If at any time during the 72 hour period, the person is determined not to meet the criteria of section 5150 and does not agree to stay in the hospital as a voluntary patient, he or she shall be released and any subsequent involuntary detention in the hospital shall be persistent to section 5150. Failure to comply with an order of AOT alone may not be grounds for involuntary civil commitment or a finding that the person who is the subject of the petition is in content of court. Again, you guys have to provide evidence for deterioration. And that th this line right here is the reason why we need to provide that evidence as it relates to current deterioration. Um, the judge is never going to hold a client in contempt of court. And our public defender does not believe that non-compliance with services alone is grounds for involuntary civil commitment. So and how do you guys get the 5346F order? The provider needs to provide, um, historically, we, we've been moving a little bit away from this, but it is still best that the provider does this, provides a written letter um, requesting the 5346 order. It can be its own separate letter in which you're gonna provide the evidence for those four areas that we I just discussed, or you can include it in your progress report. Um, so if the client's due for a hearing for progress, at the end of your progress information that you normally would give, then you add another paragraph or two in which you provide the evidence for those four areas. Um, providing something in writing is better because that way county council is well aware of how we're gonna indicate um, the evidence of why we're asking for this F. If you just tell me verbally and I tell him, hey, um, Tessie Cleveland is gonna ask for, wants to ask for an F on Friday. Um, such and such is going to be appearing through WebEx so that they can testify. He's not gonna know what you guys are gonna say. And he doesn't like to do that. He likes to be prepared and make sure that what you're gonna say um, is gonna prove our case. So having it in writing is the better route to go. Um, I already indicated what you guys would put into that letter, um, the, the three standards of compliance and the deterioration, and um, you believe that hospitalization is needed. Uh, please know that a request for 5346F does not need to wait till the client's next progress hearing. So again, if the client's not due in court for another month, but you guys really believe that this is needed, you can ask for the client to be put on a calendar. And the sole purpose we are doing that is to ask for this order. Client doesn't need to appear for that court date. 
but a, the license, a licensed mental health provider does need to appear. Once the order is issued, provider will be given the order on Friday. If you're in court and the order is prepared, then you'll be, give, you'll be hand given it. If not, you will receive it on Monday when I return to the office and I receive it. Um, provider is to locate the client and detain the client with help of law enforcement if necessary. The treatment team that goes out, at least one of those individuals needs to be LPS. Um, that individual is going to examine the client to determine if welfare institution code, if section 5150 criteria is met. And if it does, then you would complete a 5150 application. But here's the thing with the 5150. Uh, county hospitals prefer for a 5150 application to be attached to our orders. Now, um, again, you're, you may not actually have a client who fully meets the 5150 criteria. It might not be as clear as it normally would, but county hospitals like for this order to be attached does not need to be attached, obviously, um, but if there is enough grounds to write one, then they prefer that to happen. The provider will locate a bed and arrange for transportation like you normally do would do as it relates to 5150. And um, we moved away from this a little bit, but it still helps if the provider accompanies the individual to the facility. So that way you can provide the information, you can explain that we have this, this order, um, and you could provide any additional information you might need on this client. But again, that you can suffice that with a, a, a phone call as well. Um, you can work with the hospital liaisons if there is one, if not ensuring who um, a social worker or and eventually maybe um, the treatment team who's working with the client you wanna consult with. So this is a sample letter if you were to write up a letter. A lot of times now our providers are just putting it in a progress report, which is perfectly fine. Um, and again, I indicated the, the areas that you would wanna address. At the very bottom is a paragraph that you know should be included in which you're indicating that you believe the 5346F is needed. Um, so how it reads right now is, it is my clinical opinion that um, the individual is in need of involuntary admission to a hospital for evaluation, and I therefore request that he be taken into custody by persons designated under Section 5150 and be transported or caused to be transported to a hospital to be held up to 72 hours for examination by a licensed mental health treatment provider to determine if the AOT client is in need of treatment persistent to Section 5150. I am requesting the court order hospitalization for the individual AOT client persistent to Welfare Institution Code 5346F. This is what the order looks like. Three pages. Um, this is not something that the client has to see or has to be given. This is who you're gonna hand this over to the You're gonna one, show law enforcement and you're gonna give them a copy of it if you are calling law enforcement out to assist you. Um, you are also gonna give a copy to the, to the hospital um, so via the ambulance attendants, if you're successful in hospitalizing them. And again, it's, it's going to indicate that the client um, is part of AOT, that they believe that this, the client needs to be evaluated. Um, number three indicates that the client is to be evaluated for appropriateness for LPS conservatorship. This is a blanket statement. It's not going to apply for every client, but for some, it might actually really apply. Um, and it also lists the court 
the client's next court date. Sometimes we like to line this up with um, the next court date. So depending on what our goal is in asking for this hospitalization is how we're going to proceed with the next court date. For some clients, it's, they're fully non-compliant. They're not even showing up for the court hearings. So we're, you're going to want to line this up with that court date. You're going to want to hospitalize them on Wednesday. So that way the hospital can assist them with showing up to court that Friday that they're doing in court. Now, if this is a kind of client who you've been trying to 5150 and you've been unsuccessful and they're really in need of being hospitalized, um, then you're not going to want to wait. You're going to want to implement the order as soon as you guys get the order, whether the court date is in a week, in three weeks, you know, you're going to want to implement that order. But if this is more of a, a non-compliant and we're trying to get the client to see that, they, you know, that they're part of AOT and they're part of a court process, then you're going to want to wait. You know, if the court date's in two or three weeks, you're going to want to wait until that week of court and implement it on that Wednesday. And it's Wednesday because of that 72 hour period in which they can't be held longer unless they're, the 5150 goes into, into effect. Um, so you, you hospitalize them on Wednesday. It gives the hospital a, a day or two to set up arrangements to assist with the parents, as well as that for them to assess and determine if it's even appropriate for the client to appear. Sometimes the hospitals tell us that the client's not stable enough to appear for a, a hearing, you know, for a progress hearing. So we understand that as long as the hospital informs us of that. So progress report writing, progress report is only due for clients who are court ordered with AOT. This is the template we utilize. Um, top information is the client's information, their date of birth, the date in which you guys are writing the progress report, uh, the client's case number. Currently, um, our case numbers all start with the, the year the petition was uh, granted. So right now we have some that still have 20 and then majority of all the rest are 21. It's HWMH and then there's five digits that follow. And you can find this on all the minute orders for that individual. Petition granted date, what day was the petition granted? And then petition terminate date, what date is, is the petition supposed to terminate? Again, that's gonna be, you're gonna find all of that on the first initial minute order in which the petition was granted if you don't have it or you just don't know, you can always reach out to me and I'll give it to you. The next information is the agency's information, um, the name of the agency, the date the client was enrolled, case manager, clinician's name, psychiatrist, nurse practitioner's name, and the telephone number for the case for the clinician. Current placement, this can change each time you write your progress reports. Um, this is the most typical places in which the individual might be staying. Um, so you just check off whatever appropriate box it might be for that week that you're writing it. If the client actually has a, a residential address, um, then providing that address down. Then the context of the progs report. Um, so you're going to indicate, uh, so it kind of starts off with this progs report is updated, is to update you on the individual's progress with mental health services since his last progress hearing on whichever date was the last hearing. Um, you're going to indicate that the individual was scheduled for individual therapy on such dates. You're going to provide all the dates um, in which the individual attended how many out of how many appointments. Um, you're going to list the reasons for the missed appointments. Then you're going to indicate the next scheduled appointment. Include any details about the client's compliance or lack of compliance with the therapeutic services. 
Um, then you're going to indicate any appointment, the same kind of information related to case management and released and related to medication support. You're going to also provide the medication names and dosages if, if there are currently prescribed any meds. Um, and the next, the next appointment for the case management and for the medication support and compliance related to it. Um, the next section, you're going to provide information about the client's progress towards treatment goals, changes in their behavior and symptoms, and, and contact with law enforcement, arrest, crisis response, hospitalizations, eviction notifications, and placement changes since the last hearing. So some of this information you may have given us an update because it occurred outside of the window of the progress hearings, and we needed to know it. You know, that those were the urgent matters that you need to update. So you're just re resharing it on a progress report, but you're also going to be addressing the progress on the treatment goals. Um, in addition, the provider, uh, you can provide any information you want the court team and judge to be aware of. And if by chance you want to make sure that this information is not shared in the courtroom in front of the judge, I mean, in front of the client, then you just add that sentence that please don't share this, but you want the, the team to be aware of this information. Um, it's always, you know, there's always some stuff that the team wants to report on or should report on, but it's definitely something that should not be talked about in front of the client. And then you provide, you know, the signature and whoever it is that's writing the progress report. Um, this needs to be completed for all client, all progress hearings, even if the client was just in court a week prior. Um, it is due on Wednesday at noon to, to myself through email. Um, it needs to be submitted each, um, sorry, I said that already. Uh, you are reporting on what has happened since the last progress hearing. So if it's been a month, um, if it's your first progress report and you're gonna report on what has happened since either the petition was granted to the date of the hearing or since you got involved, cause you may have gotten involved a week or two after the, the petition happened, since your involvement to that first progress hearing. Now for all subsequent progress hearings, you're gonna report what has happened since the last progress hearing to the moment you're writing this. These should be written the week of court. They should not be written any earlier than that. An exception might be is if the treatment team member, the clinician specifically is not gonna be there that week and needs to provide a report you know, a little bit earlier because they're on leave or vacation or something, that's okay. Um, but other than that, it should be only written the week of, so we have the most up-to-date information. Um, and again, you're gonna be submitting them no later than Wednesday at noon. This is just a sample of one actually written up. If you wanna take a look at that later. So petition extensions, I talked about extensions yesterday as it related to voluntary clients as this is when you guys feel like the client needs more time in AOT past their, you know, their initial six months increments. We have the same thing as it relates to petitions. Um, so the petition is going to terminate. Let's say the petition, the a client's petition is terminating this Friday, October 29th. Um, about a month ago, I will reach out to you guys to ask what are your recommendations for this individual's ongoing mental health treatment. Um, so as, as I discussed, you know, a petition is granted via VSA or petition sustained, um, no matter which way they, the petition was granted, you're going to have to make a decision on what to do next. The petitions are not to exceed 180 days. So their term date is set. It's basically set in stone. We can move up their term date, 
but we cannot go past their term date without um, good cause. And the judge typically has not found good cause for us to proceed. Um, so we might move up in that, like these past two Fridays, the court has been dark. And so anybody who were to terminate in the past two weeks, we had to move up their hearing to uh, October 8th, I think it was, was that Friday. We had to have all their um, extensions happen on that day because we were gonna be dark during the days that they were to terminate. Um, so if it has been determined that the condition of the client requires further AOT, the provider can submit a declaration to the court prior to the expiration of the period of the initial AOT order. For an order, for an order authorizing continued AOT for a period not to exceed 180 days from the date of the order. So that is basically the petition extension. Um, you believe the client still needs to be under court jurisdiction, and you would like them to be under court jurisdiction still. They they meet the AOT criteria to still remain. We are going to repetition the individual. We usually don't use the word repetition, but that's what it. Um, that's kind of the, Petitioning actually is the language in the statute. We are using the word extension of the petition, um, but we are going to resubmit all the paperwork we did the first time so that we can have another hearing and the judge can make a decision of the clients. If we still provided clear and convincing evidence that the client meets the criteria in order to extend them for another six months or another 180 days. Um, there is no limit on how long we can ex keep repetitioning the individual, extending them as long as the AOT criteria is met based off of statute 5346. 5346. Um, the, the repetition, if granted, is going to be again for no more than 180 days. Request to extend court jurisdiction is based on clinical team's recommendation. The provider will need to complete the documentation for filing with the court and possibly testifying in court. Um, when I say it's based off of your clinical team's recommendation, again, you guys still need to make sure your client meets the criteria, but it's your recommendation. It's not because the public defender wants you guys to extend. It's because you guys believe that this is what is needed. Um, or because somebody else wants you guys to extend. Sometimes as DMH, we, we might pose some questions to what your recommendation is. We're not gonna tell you what to do, but we might pose some questions to help see if there if maybe we should go the other route to what you might be recommending. But in the bottom line, we'll still follow whatever you are asking for and county council will follow what you are asking for. Six month court termination date. Um, again, I had mentioned it is court appointed and it's always gonna land on a Friday. So planning for your recommendation. There are three options. You're gonna request for the court jurisdiction to be extended for another six months. This is gonna be a client who remains non-compliant with services. Um, they may have been compliant maybe during the first three months of their court order. And then in the last three months, they became non-compliant. The bottom line is that at the time that we are trying to repetition them, they are not complying with services. Um, the client remains to be substantially deteriorating and unlikely to survive safely in the community. 
um, and the provider or the provider is trying to prevent relapse or deterioration. So over the past year, this is where we have gotten stuck and we cannot repetition a client or we ended up losing, um, we ended up getting denied the repetition based off of this section right here, the non-compliance, the substantial deteriorating. Um, now with SB 507, we're going to be, I, I think we should be able to repetition more clients um, because now we don't need to prove the deterioration and the unlikely to survive safely in the community, we can indicate that we are trying to prevent the relapse of deterioration. We just need to make sure we still have the component of non-compliance though. That is still gonna be set in stone there. Um, all of AOT criteria will still need to be met in order to, to repetition. The second option is going to be request for court jurisdiction to Request for the court jurisdiction to terminate, but keep the client in AOT as a voluntary case. And this might be with FSP or this might be with ERS. So for this one, you, you know, there's no more deterioration over the last six months, but there is a justifiable reason that you believe that the client should remain in AOT services. Um, this might be this might be the client where. We, you really want court jurisdiction, but based off of the, the criteria, we can't ask for it. We, can, we can't file the documentation. So that type of client, which still might happen, definitely happened in the past, but now with SB 507, it might still happen. Um, that client, you're going to want to keep an AOT because obviously you would you would have utilized the court process if you could have. Um, the other type of client might be the client where you know what, the criteria doesn't meet anymore, you know, regarding non-compliance um, for services, the client is meeting with you guys. The client was only under court jurisdiction maybe for six months. Um, maybe the client's only been in AOT for six months and you feel like having that, the, the court as leverage is still helpful. And so you're going to want to keep the client in AOT because at any point, maybe say in two months, the client does become non-compliant, we can repetition the client. But if you step them down or you graduate them, you can't utilize those that easily. You're going to have to refile a new referral to us and see if the client fully you know, meets the criteria and move along that whole process all over again. But if the client remains in AOT, then we're fast, you're faster to utilize the petition process. The third option is request for the court to terminate the jurisdiction and step the client down in level of care. Um, so this is gonna be a client who no longer meets AOT criteria. They're not deteriorating. There's been no hospitalizations, no police contact, no threats or acts of violence or self or others. Um, client has been working on or meeting or some or all of their treatment goals and they're willing to step down in services. Um, so this is a client that, you know, in the long run, we're gonna get ready to close them out of AOT and move them along. A voluntary settlement agreement. Um, so I, I've described what a voluntary settlement agreement is to you guys, but what I wanted to make note, because this has been coming a, a confusing area for providers and even our staff, is that if you ex if you if we're extending the court jurisdiction, we are trying to repetition the client. Um, county public defender is going to be made aware of what your recommendation is, 
before court happens. And so they're going to probably try to attempt to go out with you guys or on their own before that repetitioning hearing occurs to see if they can get the client to sign a voluntary settlement agreement. Um, you know, they already know the client, they've known them for maybe six months or a year or however so. And so they're going to go out and try to get this VSA signed before um, the court hearing is scheduled, before the court hearing date. Even if the client signs that voluntary settlement agreement, several things still need to take place. Um, there still needs to be an affiant who is licensed. The declaration, the affidavit still needs to be completed and filed with the court. A copy of the treatment plan still needs to be submitted. <clears throat> All clinical notes need to be emailed still. Um, clients still needs to be served. And the affiant still needs to be to appear in court with a hard copy of the clinical notes. A lot of people were getting confused when, when the client, when they would talk. So a lot of providers will talk to the client and kind of figure out like, is the client going to agree to continue on with services because they kind of been compliant um, or should we repetition? And so during that conversation that they might have with the client, um, they then find out the client's willing to sign a VSA because maybe the client signed one the first time. So then they think that they don't need to do all these things. No, they still need to do them. Um, and then they find out that the client did sign the VSA. They still need to do those steps that come with the court date. Um, so we, there would have been a lot of confusion lately about that. All these things still need to be done. And that is because maybe the client agreed verbally to sign the, verbal, to sign the VSA and they said they will sign it in court. Well, when the court day comes, the client doesn't show up or they refuse to sign it. Or, and this has happened, um, the client signs it, the client shows up to court. In the courtroom, the client is very symptomatic. And when the judge asks the client, are you agreeing to this voluntary settlement agreement? Some question along that line, the client says no, or the client goes, kind of gets wishy-washy and goes back and forth in their response. The judge at that moment, even though it's signed, can say she's not going to accept it and that the hearing has to take place. So we need to be prepared in case that happens. And all the, all the steps that typically would need to happen for a petition hearing still has to occur. So process the request for an extension in regard to repetitioning of the client. Um, again, um, we need the affidavit to be completed. We need it to be filed. The documentation, all documentation needs to be submitted to the court and a court date is set. Um, the bottom categories is kind of everything I've already talked to you guys about uh, through the hearing. So it's just a reference for you. Provider's role regarding repetitioning an individual. Um, you guys need to, so this, to, to indicate, the repetitioning of an individual is on the provider. You guys have been providing treatment for the individual. You guys are the ones who are repetitioning the individual. Department of Mental Health always does the initial one. Any subsequent ones are going to be the provider. So you guys, um, again, at, five, at the five month marker of that petition, I'm gonna reach out, remind you, hey, your, the term date's coming up. What are you guys recommending? You guys need to investigate and assess whether the client still meets the food criteria. If so, um, then, and you guys believe that repetitioning is needed, then you guys are gonna prepare the affidavit 
um, the treatment and a, you're going to prepare the affidavit and you're going to submit it with the copy of the current treatment plan and all your clinical notes in support of petitioning uh, to county council. These things get sent to me and I submit them over for county council. County council, um, the affiant is going to provide a re their resume to county council. We're going to need to know the client's current address again so that we can serve the individual. You're going to have to assist with transportation and assist with the appearance of the individual if necessary, if they're not able to do it on their own. And you're going to bring a hard copy of all those clinical notes, notes to court. So declaration writing. Um, this is also affidavit. The affidavit, we interchange between the two words. Um, so the person who's going to write the affidavit for repetitioning, they need to be a licensed mental health provider. They need to have met the client and assess them. So again, as you recall, um, you need to have examined the individual within 10 days of the filing of the assessment. So you need to, that person needs to have met and assessed the individual and have an understanding of the client's case. When we repetition an individual because the client is enrolled in services and, and working with your treatment team, there is no reason that on our declaration should we be saying that the client was not examined. Um, we maybe had one or two cases where we did because when we were, the window in which we submitted the examination, the person was in the hospital, it was in the midst of COVID, and the examine the the licensed mental health person could not go in and, and examine the person. So we submitted it that way. The rare day we, we can, but there really needs to be a justifiable reason why we're saying the client wasn't examined because this client should be working with your you know, should be being seen by your team. Um, so for the most part, all these repetitions should say that the client was examined. The affiant needs to be available to attend court on the day in which the hearing is set, uh, the court date is always set for the termination date. Now we might have to continue the hearing um, for some reason um, once we get to court, but the court, the repetitioning hearing is always gonna be set for the termination date. Um, they need to be willing to testify in court at the, at the client's extension hearing if the client contests the petition. So important notes to note, um, the writer has the choice of utilizing the original declaration and, and updating it. So pulling out information that is no longer relevant and then just updating with, with certain updating certain sections for current information, or they can start from scratch and, and write the declaration up fully on their own. As a note, nobody has written it from scratch. Everybody just utilizes the original, the last declaration written and updates it. Um, it is critical that the declaration is submitted two weeks prior to the petition termination date to ensure time, time to review it, make any suggestions for corrections that need to be done, um, for the processing of it, for the petition to be written up, for the signatures of DMA. Um, Dr. Bonds um, still needs to sign declarations that are written by the providers. Um, the... The Department of Mental Health um, it is the entity who is petitioning the individual. The providers, though, are, are the licensed mental health provider per the statute who is writing up the, dec the declarations. But the department is the, the entity who is petitioning the individual. Um, so we need that window. It's about two, you know, two weeks to get everything done. 
and to make sure we have it so that the, the hearing can get on calendar in a timely matter. Um, extension hearings are set, uh, extension hearings is, set, is a set date, it cannot be changed. Uh, again, that's because we can't go past the 180 day termination. So um, it's all lined up because again, we can't exceed 180 days. So if the hearing happens after the termination date, then there is a window of time in which now the client is no longer under court jurisdiction. So we try not to ever allow that to happen. The submitting of the, all this documentation is submitted to me. I'm the one who re reviews it, make sure we have everything lined up and then I send it over um, to County Council. I am also the one who, um, if you're utilizing the original, the last declaration written, I review it, I draft it up, I, I highlight it with where you need to change stuff and where you need to add stuff. I fix some of the paragraphs to phrase it in a different way when it comes to the repetitioning. Um, and then I will send it over. I only do that if you tell me you're gonna repetition, otherwise you do not get that draft. Um, so I, I'm kind of the main contact during this process to make sure we have everything lined up and we're meeting our deadlines to get it all filed away. The declaration, um, the template is about four pages. It can be longer than that. Um, the top information is accurate. I always fix it for you guys. Uh, Mr. This is an older sample because Mr. Kirkwood is now a deputy. He's no longer a senior associate. So you'll have some updates on the ones you receive. The case number you guys can put in, you're gonna change. So on this first page, everything that's in yellow is what you guys would be updating, um, except for the date that's left blank. Um, so you put in your, inf the affiant puts in their information, their license, uh, the agency in which they work for, the header, the footer always gets changed. Number four um, is about the examination. This is the language that should appear. And as I said, for repetitioning, we should always be saying that we examined the, indiv the individual was examined. If they were not examined, if it was one of those rare cases, again, you should talk to me about it, but what language goes into that place instead is listed as number two in the blue box. Page, uh, what would be kind of the page two, you're gonna update the client's diagnosed to what you guys currently have diagnosed them as. Um, section five is about the client's symptoms. Um, so it's gonna match what your diagnosis is. You're gonna remove anything that might be, if you're using the original, you're gonna remove anything that you guys maybe didn't see or client really doesn't present with. And then you're gonna add any additional symptoms that might not be listed already. Section six is regarding the person's ability to survive safely in the community. Um, you're gonna update that to whatever you guys feel is accurate for the moment. Uh, paragraph seven is regarding the hospitalizations forensic mental health episodes or threat. Um, I will always remove any hospitalizations that are outside the 36 um, month window, which sometimes some fall out. And then you guys are to update with anything that has happened since the last one that was listed. Um, if there's any new threats, you guys are gonna add those there, like when they occurred and what was the threat that was made or the attempted threat. And then if there's any new forensic episodes and you would add that as well. Paragraph eight, is regarding um, the client's compliance with services. 
So this, this paragraph, I completely revamped for you guys when you're repetitioning it. There's a generic template that's written in blue, which is going to indicate the day the client was mandated into treatment for the first petition, the date that the client was enrolled with your agency, your agency's name. And then it's going to indicate, um, this might have the old phrasing. I've rephrased it to what services you guys are offering them. Um, and so um, you're going to indicate how often you are offering that type of service. Um, and then you're going to indicate if the client, the hope is that you're indicating the client is not compliant. Because if you're saying they're compliant, we shouldn't be repetitioning that. So you're going to be, you should be indicating that there's a non-compliance with these type of services and you're going to provide some, some evidence regarding that non-compliance. Um, and then paragraph nine is regarding the deterioration of the individual. Um, and so again, you, you should be able to indicate to some extent they're deteriorating. This template is going to change again based off SB 507. So if we're not saying that they're going to deteriorate, we're going to be able to remove that section out of the declaration for that repetitioning. Um, 10 indicates the that AOT. So number 10, 11, and 12 will stay as it is. There's nothing that you guys need to do with it. Those are other parts of our criteria, um, which are going to have to be in place in order for us to say that the client fully meets criteria. On number 11, I, word, I add the word extended. Um, as well as on number 12. Then the final line is I declare under penalty of perjury under the laws of state of, state of California that the foregoing is true and correct. You date it and uh, you sign it and then print your, your name and your, your license. Um, one additional change is going to be related to SB 507 that we're gonna have to add on as an additional number, which is related to the individual's capacity to give informed consent on medication psychotropic. Um, we have not yet worked out the language. We provided a suggestion on what it could possibly look like. Um, we're waiting to see if county council likes it or doesn't like it. So that new wording will come along. But again, when I draft this up for you guys, it will be in there and, and you guys will know. Um, I kind of mentioned what these changes are. So this kind of just gives you a clue like, um, how we would delete section six and nine if we're not saying the person's deteriorating. Um, we would delete the word further, that's in number 11, when it comes to the relapse um, of the individual. Um, and then regarding the capacity. Um, so testifying, um, communication, you definitely need to have communication with county council prior to your court hearing to prep, especially if it's the first time you're going to testify. Um, notes can be reviewed on stand. There is an exception and, and the county council will, uh, will make that exception so that you guys can utilize any notes you might have. Um, it's not supposed to be allowed, but our councils have both allowed it. So it's, it's helpful. Um, you're testifying to the content that's in the affidavit. So we want to make sure that whatever we're saying is related to what you guys indicated already. So an expert witness is the person who's qualified to testify as an expert if he or she has special knowledge, skills, experience, training, or education sufficient to qualify him or her as an expert on a subject to which his or her testimony relates. 
Further, in addition to matters within their own personal knowledge, experts may relate information acquired through their training and experience, even though that information may have been derived from conversations with others, lectures, study of learned trustees, et cetera. Um, that means that an expert witness can testify to certain matters that would be considered hearsay. You guys, as that affian, are, um, are going to be identified as an expert witness. Um, Mr. Kirkwood is going to approach the court and say that you are an expert witness. This is why your resume is needed. So you only need to submit your resume once. Um, the first time you ever have to, usually if you're going to be a petitioner for us, if you're going to be the affiant, you're probably going to be the affiant every time for your agency. That's kind of what's been happening with the ones that we have right now. Um, so just the first time you got to go through this process is the, is the first time, the only time you need to submit your resume to him. Um, and he's going to use your resume to indicate that you're an expert, because hopefully with your resume, you're going to have your education and your experience within working with the mental health in the mental health field as a clinician. Hearsay. Uh, hearsay is evidence of an out of court statement offered to prove the truth of its contents. Uh, hearsay is inadmissible unless it comes with an exception to the hearsay rule. Multiple hearsay is admissible if each layer falls within an exception to the hearsay rule. Here, the issue is whether a mental health record is made inadmissible via, via hearsay if the requirements of the evidence code 1271A has been met. Think of hearsay is um, something that you may hear while you're testifying from the public defender. She may indicate that what you're saying is hearsay. Um, we have some means to get around it, but sometimes we still get trapped in the judge rules and the public defender's uh, um, notion of hearsay. So think of hearsay as a telephone. Uh, you know, we, we can't be saying what other people were saying because we might be interpreting the wrong information. Um, so here, that's how we get trapped with hearsay. A hospital record is considered hearsay. Um, so if you're using someone else's record, it's, it's going to be called hearsay. I guess it's a better way to say it. So getting around the hearsay rule, the business record exception. Under the business records exception to the hearsay rule, evidence of a writing made as a record of an act, condition, or event is not made inadmissible by the hearsay rule when offered to prove the act, condition, or event if the writing was made in a regular course of a business, the writing was made at or near the time of the act, condition, or event, the custodian or other qualified witness testifies to his identity and the mode of its preparation and the source of information and method and time of preparation were such as to indicate its trustworthiness. The object of the business record exception is to eliminate the necess necessity of calling each witness and to substitute the record of the transaction or event. Further, hospital records, if properly authenticated, fall within the umbrella of the business records exception. So your agency's records, client record is an exception to hearsay. So this goes back to why you submit them electronically so that councils can all review your records before court happens. And then this is why you bring a hard copy to court because what you are saying Maybe you may be saying it because of what's in your record. And so we need to submit that as evidence. Um, but again, it doesn't get filed away anywhere. Judge doesn't keep it. It's handed back to the person who brought it into the courtroom. 
an expert witness is a professional witness per Craig. So you need to, you know, be confident, know your material. The defense attorney, which is the public defender, is going to try to shake your experience. Don't let it happen. We have two public defenders. We're learning more about our newest public defender. We've got an understanding of our older public defender. Um, she, the older one, calls hearsay whenever she can. Uh, the newer one, um, our county council likes to say that she is a, a true public defender and she is going to ask every 101 type of questions that a public defender is going to ask to make the case go away. Um, so you're, you're going to be asked of just be prepared, know your stuff and, and, and you'll get through it. Um, make sure to contact county council prior to testimony to prepare for court. A contact should be made though after you've been informed that the affidavit, the, that the petition has been filed. So I will always let you know, I am submitting the, the final version and a treatment plan to county council. Once you've been told of that, then you can reach out to county council. I'm not putting his, his phone or anything on this PowerPoint, but when I'm working with you guys, I will give it to you through the emails. Um, and the reason why you're gonna hold off is that he needs to know what's on the on the petition and he's not going to know till we till we submit the final one so that's why you're going to hold off to communicate so your communication usually is going to happen the week of court so understand um you, you're you'll be asked specific questions related to the aot criteria you're you're from county council you're going to only be asked questions so that he can prove that the aot criteria is met so it's going to line up with your declaration your standard answer is going to be a yes. Um, he may follow up with a, a why question or, or asking for you to provide you know, the evidence uh, to it. His question is gonna be more tailored to, is this your clinical opinion or what is your clinical opinion? Um, that's gonna be the follow-up where you're gonna give any evidence. But again, not hearsay. Um, it, it's going to have to be, you know, what you saw yourself or what's within your, um, your record, your medical record for the individual. Uh, unless asked by county council, for examples, or, or the why question is asked, you do not indicate any, you do not provide any details. Again, your, your answer is going to be a yes or no. So until he asks and poses that question, that's going to allow you to, to feed more information to that answer. Um, and then when, when you, um, again, he's gonna either ask you, is it your clinical opinion? Or when you're responding to them and giving that extra evidence, you should be indicating that this is your clinical opinion. Specific acts of conduct cannot be included in testimony. Um, so this is tailored to more like those threats. So you might put it in your declaration, but in the courtroom, you're gonna leave it out. And this is gonna be like a client who was arrested. Maybe the, the client in the last four months stabbed somebody. Um, you can't say that, you gotta leave it out. Unless you actually witness that person stab them um, during your course of services with them, you need to leave that out. You can put it in the declaration, but it's not gonna be part of your testimony. Um, the affiant should be able to state they examined the client within the last several weeks, definitely within the 10 days of the filing of the petition. So he is going to ask a question of, you know, when did you last see the client? Did you examine the client? Even if it's a cursory examination, as I explained, that's what we do, or an eyeball of an exam uh, of an examination to determine mental illness. 
the affiant needs to be able to say they examined the person. Again, this is not a, a paper examination where you're writing down and answering all these questions like you would in an intake, um, but a cursory eyeball examination is suffice as long as you're saying, as long as you're able to say that you saw symptoms that relates to the mental health diagnosis. So if we're filing it, you should be able to say yes. Um, so the next two slides are questions similar to or what county counsel will ask you. Um, what is your relationship to the client? How many times did you meet the client? Was the client examined? Did the client meet criteria? Have you reviewed any records? What records did you review? Do you have those records with you? If you say yes, this is when he's going to ask um, the court to submit those records as evidence one, evidence two. If Say you have your records, but you also might have DMH's records, which probably will never happen. We would have it. It would happen in our case instead for the initial one. He's going to submit two different um, the records. DMH will be record one, and, and Tessie Cleveland's records will be two. Um, so he'll, he'll ask the court to allow him to submit these records as evidence. Um, then he's going to be, would you be considered the custodian of records? You guys need to say yes. Um, is this record kept in accordance with business practices? Again, that should be a yes. Are the records known for accuracy and truthfulness, et cetera? Again, they sh should be yes. Did you witness symptoms consistent with the mental health diagnosis? Which um, did you, sorry, did you witness? And then he's going to ask you what, what symptoms did you witness? In regards to um, the symptoms that you witnessed, you, you are going to list the symptoms. You're not going to list what you saw um, or a description of it. So you're going to want to say paranoia. You're not going to want to say the person believes that people are trying to kill them. You're going to list paranoia, um, so specifically what the term is. Are symptoms consistent with mental health diagnosis? Do you have an opi any opinion? What is the diagnosis? So Again, it's going to be a yes, but then he's going to ask you what your opinion is of that diagnosis and what it is. Um, is the client over the age of 18? Will the client be able to function safely in the community with, without this program? If you say yes, um, sorry. Uh, if you say yes, then he's going to ask you the, the why question, you know, and then in your opinion, clinical opinion, this is why. How many hospitalizations in the past 36 months? So you give the number and he's going to ask you for the dates. Was a treatment plan created? Um, so yes. What is the treatment plan? So you're going to explain. So for you guys, when you're repetitioning, the treatment plan is going to be your current treatment plan. This the you know the client care coordination plan. Um, so you're going to indicate whatever um, treatment goals you guys have created with the client, whether they signed it or not. Did the client agree to the treatment plan? So even if it was signed and client agreed. Um, that is fine because obviously the client was in services for so long, but what you're going to want to do, and that's where the why question is going to come in on this repetitioning one is, okay, client was to do X, Y, and Z, but over the last three months, the client has not followed through with this treatment goal. So you're, you're going to be able to say that, that although these are the treatment plans and client did agree seven months ago to it, there's been no follow through in it. Um, is the client substantially deteriorating? What is that based on? Again, on that base question, you're going to say in your clinical opinion, such and such. 
is AOT the least restrictive program for this client? Does the client need AOT to keep them from becoming gravely disabled or harm self or others? And again, what is it based on? Um, with the SB 507, when we start implementing that into the courtroom for the hearings, some of the questions might go away because again, if we're not seeing they're substantially deteriorating, we're gonna indicate, are we trying to prevent them from deterioration? So we'll need to be prepared and he will need to be prepared to make sure he knows which criteria are we trying to hit at when we are repetitioning the individual. All right, thank you for those who stayed on. Sorry, I went a little bit past. Um, if you guys do have any questions, my information is on this slide, as well as our program manager for AOT, which is Linda Boyd, and then our two supervisors. But as I mentioned, they at some point over the next month will be leaving us. Um, but if you guys do, my information's here. I'll be your main contact the whole time that the client is with AOT. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.